Welcome to Digfin Vox, the podcast brought to you by Digital Finance Media. Digfin is an online media platform covering the people and organizations using technology to transform financial services. My name is David Zweifler, and I'm discussing tomorrow's fintech news today, literally because I'm operating 12 hours behind on Eastern Daylight Time here in New York City. Today, I have the privilege, once again, of speaking to James DiBiazio, editor of Digital Finance Media and noted financial zoologist about the recent IPO of China Rapid Finance. So, James, the China Rapid Finance valuation fell short of the $1 billion unicorn status when it listed on NASDAQ. In your expect, uh, expert opinion, does that make it a Shetland corn or a unigoat or some completely new species of fintech? <laughs> it's uh, it's a wild beast. Um, I would not call it a donkey. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I would not. I, w- I don't think that it would be fair at all. Um, this is. Uh, I-, I think it's a mixed story when you. So this the story is this this company's uh, Nasdaq uh, listing of American depository shares. Uh, the pricing ended up being almost a forty percent discount to the range that the company and its underwriters had set out. Uh, just a. When they, just a few weeks, uh, two weeks ago, when they announced, when they filed with the uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, so the, the the bad news for the company is they they got uh, a lot less money than they initially uh, hoped to. How much uh, did, did they, how much did they leave on the table relative to well, the range? Uh, in terms of total sums of money, the the goal was to 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 raise about one hundred million, and they got a. 60 million. There's still a, a green shoe to execute. They might get more, but uh, the the pricing range was set out to be nine dollars and fifty cents to eleven dollars and fifty cents. So ten ten fifty would be the mid range, but they only got uh, in the end um, six dollars per mm-hmm. share. Uh, that's what investors would accept. So on the surface of things, you could say, "Wow, that's that's a real uh, uh, that that's a letdown." But I think that. Uh, you know, this is a company that doesn't have earnings, and it still was able to get a, uh, a respectable listing um, on NASDAQ. Um, it got the deal completed. It has, uh, you know, the capital will, will be coming its way, which it can utilize. It's not a negative story. Um, mm. It's it's a it's it's a mix it's a mixed bag. Got it. What are they going to be able to do with this money? What's the next step? How are they how are they going to spend it? What's the plan? The business model is this is a peer-to-peer lender uh, of which there are literally thousands in China, uh, although uh, new regulation will lead to that consolidating. And also, I think that the capital will go to ensuring that China Rapid Finance ends up as one of the the survivors. Uh, They will use the money to to acquire customers. And uh, and once they – in the the way their business model works, once they get customers – they have a, ch- a good chance of turning those customers into profitable customers. It just takes a bit of time, and we could talk a little bit about about that business model. But the, the, yeah, the money is really very interesting. One, I mean, they're they're loaning uh, money at one percent, right? That that's pretty much. I mean, it's more complicated than that. But they're essentially loaning money at very low rates. Is is that right? Okay. So, well, this is a peer to peer lender. So, China Rapid Finance itself doesn't lend anything. Right. They just have they have there's two parts of their technology facilitating the loans because they facilitate the loans, and so the, the part part of the technology is is that that platform in which that 
takes place. And you've got investors on the one hand, or the lenders, and then you've got the borrowers on the other hand. And the way they've tackled what their their goal is, is to go after um, young people in China's emerging middle class. These uh, There's uh, some estimates say there's potentially up to 500 million people in urban China that sort of meet this uh, meet this categorization. And these are people who are uh, in their 20s. Uh, they have, they're, they're active on their mobile phones. They've got discretionary income. Uh, but what they do not have is a credit history uh, and they may not have any kind of bank account. Uh, there's a lot of P2P business models in China. In the case of uh, China Rapid Finance, uh, they target the other part of their of their system is analytics to, to discover the people who they want to uh, who they want to try to bring in as borrowers, mm-hmm. and these are people who are, have never borrowed anything in their life before, uh, and so the initial amounts are super tiny. It's one hundred or maybe two hundred renminbi, and yes, you're right. The the initial rate is uh, that that they offer would be one or two percent. Now, of course, that on the investor side, on the lender side, you would never, you know, be interested in in such a low interest rate coming back to you. So, China Rapid Finance subsidizes those people. They give them, uh, you know, they give them a, a certain amount up up front to to make it worth their while. Mm-hmm. But then they use their analytics and credit scoring to figure out and not only who to invite, but then how these people turn out to be in terms of borrowers, are they reliable? And the ones that are consistently reliably paying back the loans, they start graduating graduating them to uh, more value-added type of, of loans. Uh, and and the, the loan amounts grow, the interest rates rise, and it takes about a year or so. But a given customer, uh, if over the course of their borrowing habits on this platform, if they pass about a thousand U.S. dollars over the course of say a year, uh, at that point the tables have turned, and these are now uh, real ge- customers. You know, these are real customers, mm. and they're generating uh, nice transaction fees for the platform. They're paying good interest rates to the lenders, and they themselves are developing a very positive credit score. Now, now these people who are the borrowers. Um, are they uh, would we call them underbanked, or are they just inexperienced? And uh, you know, this is a better option for them than banking with a bank, borrowing from a bank. Uh, it, it it might be more the latter. Some of them are probably non-banked, but we're talking about middle class uh, Chinese uh, in a Chinese context, middle class people in cities. So they probably could get access to a bank, but because of their youth, they wouldn't have uh they, they might not have uh much more than just a, a very basic bank deposit it might be very difficult for them to actually get a loan from a bank mm-hmm. also these they're using these these borrowings particularly the very small ones they're not using them to invest in a business or something like that they're often using them for for consumer purposes um you know to, to just to buy stuff so uh it's not the kind of business that a traditional bank would want to be in or be capable of being in. So it's it's not really about replacing banks, uh, but it's creating a business around the existing infrastructure of banking. And of course, as these, these customers grow, uh, perhaps at some point they will be 
open to other kinds of financial services. But for now, in China Rapid Finance's case, the business is strictly about uncollateralized lending. Once you get into collateralized lending, like, hey, I want to borrow against a mortgage, you know, I need a mortgage or I want a car loan. That's a very different kind of, of thing. And it's not clear whether or not China Rapid Finance will ever move in that direction. Or could because of regulations, right? They, they would be. Uh, they, uh, no, they, they, they could. But uh, I think there might be other platforms uh, that, that might be more that. suited. to them. Yeah. Interesting, though. But I mean, you know, it can't be good for banks if your first real lending relationship is happening, you know, out on the street as it were, you know, with, with a P2P platform, if people are going online to, to uh, seek out the basic services that are typically offered from banks, even when they are geographically close to them, uh, that, I mean, it's not really part of um, the China rapid finance story, but it's, it's like a bigger story about, you know, fintechs undermining or, or perhaps in the future replacing uh, traditional financial institutions, it sounds like, or am I taking it too far? Uh, I think maybe not about this particular company, but sure, this is a big trend, um, and it's not just in China. Uh, and uh, China has a big peer-to-peer uh, industry. Uh, but yeah, if you're a bank and today you, you say, well, I don't care about this business, or I'm not allowed to, 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 to enter this business, or they don't have the capabilities, it's too expensive, cost of customer acquisition way too high for me. But right. you know, in five years, seven years, there's going to be a, a pretty substantial and real and pretty wealthy customer base that's going to have, I don't know about loyalty is the right word. That's probably a little overblown, but certainly they're going to be used to the kind of consumer experience that technology companies are good at providing and which banks are terrible at providing. So if you need serious financing, uh, then, you know, you, you do have to at some point probably go to a bank, but then you have to deal with the shock of uh, the bureaucracy and the paperwork. Right. And, um, it, you know, it, it will be a challenge, I think, down the road for the banking system. They're going to find that they're, you know, as these customers become older, more mature, they're going to expect the same kind of ease and convenience um, of, of getting services done. Uh, and and uh, the banks, if they haven't responded by then, they will find themselves in, in trouble. Moving back from the high level issues around the future of banking, and uh, you know, back to our, our uh, Nasdaq IPO. I mean, was this a was this a screw up? I can see that they were glad to get the money, and uh, it, it allows them to put distance between them and their their closest competitors, uh, who who may not have um, you know taken funds in a public market. But but was this a screw up, or was this you know kind of part of the plan? I don't think it was part of the plan, but I think it was seen as good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the context in which this company went to market is a little bit interesting. The, you know, I mentioned that there's all these peer-to-peer lenders in China. Um, there's about 2,500 players. That's the sort of the common uh, number thrown around. The government last year issued regulations to finally start um, tightening up restrictions on P2P. Uh, there was um, a very notable Ponzi scheme that defrauded uh, a lot of people um, out of billions of U.S. dollars. Um, uh, Uzubao is named that particular P2P platform, which was uh, corrupt. Um, and that was the final straw. And, of course, the banks have probably been quietly lobbying for, for restrictions as well uh, against these, these fintechs. So the government uh, last year, the central bank clamped down. And so now there's 
a new rules that are supposed to be effective um, in the middle of August this year. So they're not yet, uh, it's, it's not yet the deadline. Uh, and they include, you have to get a custodian, you've got to get a license. Um, there, there's other factors that people have to, you know, other boxes that these guys will have to tick. Right. It's going to raise their costs. Uh, and the, it's not actually clear what the detailed rules will require because they, they that that's often a uh, in in a lot of Asian jurisdictions, not just China. The, the rules are never spelled out as as clearly as companies would like them to be. And uh, so this this uncertainty over what does it actually mean and what we, what do we actually have to do has kept uh, other companies' uh, plans for IPOing on hold. Uh, and okay. into this, so there's. There's so it's kind a, of a yeah. master stroke if you think about it because like the the other IPOs are on hold the cost of doing business goes up as regulation increases if if things hold across the pacific between here and there and uh you know these guys are in a position where they can deal with whatever regs get handed down because they've just raised a lot of money and they've almost like you know while they're uh, they're putting even more distance on their co- their competitors by virtue of the fact that some other IPOs are, are now in doubt, it sounds like. Yeah, so I mean, these other IPOs will, will still come, but the uh, but they're delayed, and it, it exactly it, 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 the management at uh, China Rapid Finance was confident that they uh, met the regulatory requirements. They have gotten themselves a custodian bank and so on. They've they've ticked a lot of those boxes, and they they've you know I guess they just had their act together and had the had the, made the decision to go ahead and, and uh, raise money now that will just help them continue to acquire customers as others are dealing with compliance issues. Uh, also, you know, the, the NASDAQ itself, uh, you know, equity investors in the U.S. have been on a tear. So uh, market conditions are quite favorable right now. So, um, you know, it's an open window. Uh, so I think they, you know, I think they decided this is a chance for them to really separate from the pack uh, it'll take the other companies a little while longer to to get their capital raising plans finalized. So I think from that point of view, it was uh, quite positive for the company. Right. Well, um, it sounds like a good story, but as you know, I'm I'm kind of a a very pessimistic person, and I don't like to end interviews on an up note. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry about that, Dave. <laughs> it's, you know, no, no. I mean, it's like if it leads, it bleeds. You know how it is. Um, yeah. the, the, we do something sexy. Yeah, 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 I know. Uh, something uh, something scary. Um, so, uh, I mean, they. Uh, it sounds like a good story uh, as far as how much they raised and when they raised it uh, and what they're going to do with it. But, I mean, you know, they did fall short of their valuation. It, it sounds like there was skepticism. Uh, was it skepticism about the model? And, uh, you know, what can we infer from that? And, and, and does it apply to, to the future IPOs that are coming down the pipe uh, on China P2P? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, definitely, it implies skepticism. I mean, when you go out and, and say your price is going to be uh, $10 and then investors say, nope, we'll give you six, uh, you know, that, that does say that people are, 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 uh, are having second thoughts. Uh, in this case, I think it really just comes down to the fact that this company is not yet profitable. It's a loss-making company. Uh, and so that's, that's a hard sell. How do you put a, you know, you can't put a PE on something that's got no E there's no earnings. So, right. um, the, uh, I, you know, that was probably the, the main question. I don't think it was a, 
the, the management of this company is pretty well regarded. So I don't think it was about the people. Um, the, the founder is a guy named uh, Zane Wang, and uh, he's helped the People's Bank of China, the central bank. He, he, he advised them on how to set up a national credit bureau. He In the 90s, he worked for Sears in yeah, the U.S. He was – yeah, he helped set up their credit data warehouse. Um, and also his CFO is a person named Kerry Shen. And Mr. Shen has um, been an – He's been, he's got his own auditing business before joining this company and he's, he's done a lot of due diligence on behalf of private equity and venture capital firms in China. So these are pretty experienced guys. Their board of advisors include a lot of, a couple of uh, prominent people from the U.S. who have worked at either in the cards business or in digital banking at Capital One. So they've got, they've got, um, high caliber management. I think the question investors had really was, uh, it's just not making money. So what is this thing? And do we understand, you know, it's in China, it's, it's, it's P2P lending and they're not making money. So I think what that says for future IPO bids by China fintechs is, uh, you know, you want to make sure that your, your PNL has a story to tell. Uh, if you want to realize the full valuation, um, you know, they still have to, they still have to sell the story. And, and so other companies that, are profitable will probably have an easier ride, uh, particularly if, if uh, market conditions hold up. Uh, there is a the, there's some big companies that have suggested they might want to go IPO. Lufax, uh, which is another P2P lender, which is but bigger. Uh, Dianrong, Chubian, uh, PayPayDai, and then of course Ant Financial, the the, the big monster. Um, so there, there's a there's there's a lot of companies that could potentially follow. Uh, what China Rapid Finance uh, has done. There's another Chinese uh, P2P that went to NASDAQ a year ago, actually a year and a half ago, uh, Irindai. And, you know, that is notable because they also ended up having a fairly limited uh, IPO in size, but their share price since then has done very well. And, uh, and, Early early trading for um, China Rapid Finance has also been positive. So, if the secondary market supports these companies, that will also make it much easier for other China fintechs uh, down the road. Thank you, Jay. I look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you, you Dave. <laughs> Say that again. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> You can see Ditchfin's story about the China. And I'd like to thank my mother. All right, and, uh, okay, all uh, right. Well, Calm well, down there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You can see Ditchfin's story about the China Rapid Finance IPO at www.digitalfinancemedia, one word, .com, along with more stories about financial institutions, startups, and regulators. This is Ditchfin Fox. 